safer sex. Intercourse. Conduct. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name's Tom and this is the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we discuss all things related to sexual health. Today we are taking a look at some successful programs promoting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health to mark Close the Gap Day 2022. I'd like to acknowledge that I am recording this podcast today on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and that sovereignty was never ceded. And I'd like to extend that respect to elders past, present and emerging, wherever you're listening from today. My first guest is Kezia Blackledge. Kezia is a Senior Aboriginal Adolescent Sexual Health and Harm Reduction Officer at the Justice Health and Forensic Mental Health Network. She recently won the Lavinia Crooks Emerging Leader Award at the 2021 Ashram Conference. So welcome to the podcast, Kezia. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and what led you to want to work in Aboriginal sexual health? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm an Eastern Arana woman, so my mob originates from the Northern Territory, Alice Springs. And I guess my sexual health or interest in sexual health um, sparked probably about two, three years ago when I was doing medicine at UNSW. Um, and we started to learn about STIs and BBVs And there was a lot of literature around how, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have a high prevalence rate. Um, And for some strange reason, I feel like that really resonated with me. And I guess before then, I never really had an interest in sexual health, but that kind of sparked it. And then I went on to actually leave medicine and started working at Aboriginal Health and Medical Research Council. And they had the sexual health project. And then just were like, did you want to be in charge of it? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And I just got more and more into it. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of how it started. Um, So you now work at the Justice Health and Forensic Mental Health Network and previously at the Aboriginal Health and Medical Research Centre. What does your work involve? I think in terms of my work previously with Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Services, I've liaisoned a lot with Um, ASHAM, so the Australasian HIV Viral Hepatitis and Sexual Health Medicine, Um, big name, but I have liaisoned with them before to offer accredited training to Aboriginal health workers and Aboriginal health practitioners within the Atchison setting, um, you know, to undertake education around sexual health so that they're providing to clients, you know, correct information and useful information but them themselves are doing it in a way that they know to be culturally appropriate, which was really awesome. At the AHNMRC, we also did our annual condom send out. So sending out over 20,000 condoms to, you know, over 46 member services, um, which is really awesome for them to then hand out to community. So that was always fun. So, and even doing webinars, um, for, you know, LHDs could even join in, PHNs could join in, anyone could really join in that was in a healthcare setting. And just webinars about how to yarn about sexual health through our annual health checks that we're entitled to um, and how to do that in a culturally appropriate way and how we can read pathology as well. So education but also building workforce capacity around cultural awareness. 
So, yeah, that's just a little bit of the work that I've done at the AHNMRC um, when I was there. So, yeah. You've recently started a new role with Justice Health. Uh, what sort of work do you do there? Yeah, so I guess um, we work with youth justice centres. I've only been in this role recently, so still getting the hang of it. Um, but work in youth justice centres and develop educational programs to deliver in a classroom setting because um, a lot of them do go to school um, when they are in custody. So just running an educational session that goes for about 45 minutes to an hour. So the educational session could be on healthy relationships. So, you know, talking about what is and what isn't healthy, things such as what can DV even look like. It doesn't always have to be physical. It could also be verbal, um, you know, things such as manipulation, all these kinds of different aspects that can occur in a relationship. So things like that. Um, we're talking about healthy relationships and then you also have the different kinds of modules as well such as focusing a big part on consent Um, so what is consent what does consent mean to you and really diving into that and allowing for those yarns to happen in the classroom so it's a informal formal chat around different aspects of sexual health and sex Um, even you know in a healthy relationship being in tune with your identity so your sexual identity is a huge thing and nothing to be ashamed of either so just kind of divulging into little things like that so yeah all right fantastic sounds like really important work and and something which doesn't always happen in um, all schools as well so so good to good to hear that's happening uh you're also one of the co-leaders of the Take Blackshin campaign targeting young people through the PlaySafe programs. Here's a little sample of some of that work. Parks. Crabs. Chlamydia. Uh-uh. Gonos. It seems like that's a, a lot of fun to be involved with. Uh, how effective has using uh, humour been to engage young people around sexual health? I think using humour to engage a lot of young and Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people um, is really important. I think growing up, you don't talk about sex. I never spoke about sex in my house. It was like a shame thing. You just don't speak about it. Don't talk about it. You know what I mean? So... I guess using humour and bringing that to an online platform that is there for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people is awesome because it kind of breaks that whole barrier of shame and not speaking about it in a way that's quite comical. So if you can laugh about something, it's easy to talk about. If you can see, oh, it's actually not that serious because there's other blackfellas making a joke about it as well, then there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's been quite effective because we have had you know, representation as well over the past from different types of groups. And I think it's really awesome. So it doesn't just, you know, resonate with heterosexual. It could also resonate with those a part of the LGBTQI plus community. So Mm -hmm. I I always just think for me, it does a really good job at doing that. And I wish it was around when I was quite young as well. Yeah, it's always fantastic to see and uh, be able to share on our social media and that sort of thing as well. Um, yeah. are, are, there, are there other successful sexual health programs you'd like to highlight? So, so either ones you've been involved with yourself or, um, or others that are out there? Um, I think there's a bunch of sexual health programs out there that are quite good. So, for example, 
Um, the AHNMRC has one called Doing It Right, which is an online one. Um, so it's more so an online module type educational thing where you can go through and it does go through healthy relationships and all those different things. Um, so that's also a really good program. And there are programs that, you know, other LHDs like to run as well, which I think are really important. But I think one thing to highlight is there's not enough programs for sexual health targeting young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So I think it's a bittersweet thing to talk about because, you know, we have these awesome programs, but then there's not enough of them to go around mm -hmm. realistically. And Take Blackshin is only, you know, one thing that's very well known in sexual health when there should be a fair few. You won the Lavinia Crooks Emerging Leader Award at the 2021 ASHAM Conference. Uh, so what was that like for you? I guess getting the email was kind of a shock to me. I didn't even know I was nominated, which was funny because I was like, what the hell is going on? Um, so I guess getting the email that I had actually won it, I've gone, oh, my God, what? And I actually cried. Um, and I think it was just nice being recognised for the work in the space. I think in my mind I don't really do it for recognition. I do it because I love it and I'm passionate about it and I hope that it reaches one or two young people in community. So, you know, that's why I do it. But I think there is something nice about recognition where you kind of see that other people appreciate what you've done in the sector as well. Um, and I, I didn't really have that realisation until I got that email. So a lot of happy tears and a lot of, you know, me being thankful to a lot of different people for me even having that opportunity, um, such as my old organisation, AH and MRC, um, and the Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Services, um, as well as Take Blackshin as well. So many different people, but essentially without them, I wouldn't have gotten the award. And, yeah, it's um, it's a group effort behind the scenes. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, like there, there, there's um, not as many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander sexual health programs out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, what advice would you give to, you know, people in primary care or sexual health settings to um, ensure that our spaces are more welcoming? Yeah, I think one thing you can always do is don't be ashamed to reach out to community and ask for assistance or guidance on how to create a culturally safe space. I think a lot of the times um, people think they're taking initiative by coming up with their own ideas without reflecting, like, could this actually be culturally inappropriate, but I'm trying to make it culturally appropriate. So things such as that and getting advice from community members. So liaisoning with elders to make a sexual health program that's very inclusive of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and that is culturally appropriate. Um, and not just asking one Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person. I've had someone reach out to me and say, do you think this is culturally appropriate? And I said, in my perspective, yes, but I don't speak for all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, because that's just not the way it works. Uh, even though we're all under the same umbrella, some of us have different ideas around different things. So it's important that wherever that LHD is situated or, you know, a primary health care provider is situated, reach out to the local members in that community, have yarns with them, start to co-design um, and not just seek advice but really co-design with them and 
bring them into the sexual health program because that's the best way that, you know, someone can get optimal healthcare outcomes and actually have a really good experience inside the service as well. My next guest is Samantha Huben. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, great to have you here. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, some of the artworks that you create? Sure, sure. Um, so I guess I'm an emerging sort of independent curator. I'm completing my master's at Sydney Uni and um, I'm kind of interested in more socially engaged practice, um, a lot with sort of the female psyche and um, more conceptual sort of works. Um, I, I identify as a First Nations Maori woman um, and I wanted to note as well that we live here on, in Sydney on Gadigal land and to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and they're the traditional custodians of the land and this land was stolen, obviously, so sovereignty was never ceded. You're currently working on a project in a sexual health waiting room space as part of a waiting room project. Can you tell us more about female and uh, what led to its development? So I'm currently working on an exhibition titled Female, as you said, and it's a project featuring artworks by First Nations women and um, alongside anonymous letters which are written to the artist and it's sort of there to address the barriers um, that people often feel when they're viewing art and this um, setup in the waiting room is more of an encounter between for the patients to experience the artwork um, to foster a sort of a thought-provoking maybe dialogue or um, you know the, the letters are next alongside the artworks to um, encourage that sort of line of thinking about the works and have a deeper sort of engagement with them. Um, so yes, it's it's still evolving, and this specific iteration is um, it does feature work by Australian Aboriginal women, and they're artists from the APY lands. I've managed to let them know about the exhibition, and they'll be receiving these letters. So anyone in the space is um, welcome to pen their own letter to one of the artists, and the idea is essentially to connect women through the artworks and centred around the artworks, but also invite all the patients and anyone who is present in front of the artworks to um, join in and, you know, just provoke your thoughts but also celebrate the artists and the artworks. Mm. And that sounds like a really great way to um, encourage people coming to a sexual health centre to take some time to to write a letter and uh, engage with the artists. Um, What is the Waiting Room Project and how did you get involved with it? Uh, So the Waiting Room Project is an awesome initiative. I think it was set up in 2018 um, as a sort of grassroots initiative to curate art shows in the literal waiting space there at the sexual health clinic. and it came from the idea to alleviate those anxieties that you often receive, you know, people experience when they're sitting in a waiting room. Um, you know, I've spoken to a few people that have been in the space and it's quite a profound impact that the outcome has on those people that are waiting to hear, um, you know, about results or, you know, there's a lot of anxiety in there. And instead of looking at these clinical white walls under bright lights, um, the idea was to place, you know, 
artworks and, and curate sort of exhibitions that respond to that space. And I suppose in this um, podcast, we've been looking at some great examples of uh, health promotion. So, you know, whether that's uh, through some really effective online campaigns or distributing condoms, you know, like, like those sort of activities. Um, how can art help to enhance health? Mm, I think that's, um, there are so many connections when you just hear the words art and health. Um, you know, there's art therapy and you see art in many hospital wings and in areas that, you know, the Sydney Children's Hospital is covered, the walls are covered in murals and art. Um, you know, and most health centres have have beautiful art on the walls. Um, and so I think it has a very, you know, healing effects, essentially. Um, so some of the artists are not just artists, they're also healers and it's quite close to my heart as my mum also practices as a sort of spiritual Maori healer and she spent a few years working in the community centres in Redfern in the block um, doing a lot of this um, spiritual healing you could say and I think it's a really um, powerful tool to help connect and care and and, um, bring people together on a spiritual level I guess. Having these uh, really powerful works on the wall it really uh, encourages visitors to the space to slow down and reflect and mm. uh, take some time to engage. And I guess that ties into the title concept, which is female, and of course there's the idea of fan mail, which is what we're essentially writing, but FE is the periodic symbol for iron, so that's the strongest and you know, most fundamental metal for survival. And um, it's it's resilient, and I think that is a really nice way of thinking about people right now on the earth, and it kind of brings us all together. We're all, we're all essentially rust and stardust. Uh, this podcast is going out for Close the Gap Day. Um, how, how does this project uh, help to work towards um, reducing some of those health disparities that we see and um, other disparities um, uh, experienced by Indigenous people in Australia, but but also in countries around the world. Yeah, so I wanted I wanted to focus on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and um, you know share the love and the support and make sure we're culturally sensitive to their needs. And I kind of wanted audiences to be transported to the origins of the works as well as Australian beginnings. You know, this stretches back tens and thousands of years to the ancestors of the artists. Um, You know, it didn't begin with colonisation. That was more a disruption and it still needs healing and support and to be corrected, yes. And the more people who celebrate these artists and the Aboriginal Australians... um, as the tradition, as the traditional owners of the land, um, the better, you know. So, thank you. This has been the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast for Close the Gap Day 2022, where we have been looking at some varied approaches to promoting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander sexual health. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest information on sexual health, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. The links are in the description. 
You'll also find more information about the female art exhibit as part of a waiting room project, and a link where you can donate to support Close the Gap Day initiatives. If you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.